we'll be reading verses 1 through 13. Mark 7, 1 through 13. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. May God bless the reading and preaching of his holy word. We are a traditional church. We are part of a traditional church denomination that traces its roots back to old Princeton Seminary, to the Westminster Divines, to the early reformers, to the medieval period, uh, to the early church fathers, to the church in the Bible. We are traditional. A tradition is a transmission of beliefs from generation to generation, just as Jude calls on all Christians To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The church is meant to be traditional. And there is nothing wrong with being traditional. It is biblical to be traditional as Paul called on the Thessalonians to stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. That is the apostles. Now, in the church, uh, problems arise not from the tradition itself, but from the source of the tradition. Where does the tradition come from? We hold that the the church's tradition ought to come from God as it was handed down to the apostles and revealed in Scripture. And there are some traditions that we hold, and we hold many traditions as a church, don't we? Like... Uh, our luncheons on the third Sunday of every month. There, there are traditions that each church holds that may be indifferent and up for debate and can be changed. Uh, 
But the priority of the church is found in the Word of God. And traditions that are indifferent should not be imposed on the Christian as a matter of salvation or uh, to be equal with the Word of God and His law. This was the problem that arose during the time of the Reformation. And this was a problem during Jesus' time. This was the lesson that he was teaching his disciples at this point. Now Jesus and his disciples were now in the region of Capernaum. And the local Pharisees and some of the scribes who traveled 90 miles from Jerusalem gathered to Jesus and they saw something that would have made them question his leadership. They saw that some of his disciples ate uh, specifically here with loaves of bread. It's not in the ESV, but it's in the original. Uh, I'm not sure why they kept it out. But they ate loaves of bread with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. In all actuality, this is an exaggeration. Uh, It was not practiced by all the Jews. It was mostly practiced by the leaders of the Jews. This, This may have come from the mouth of the Pharisees in order to manipulate Jesus. Now the Pharisees' concern was not that they were eating with dirty hands. Uh, This has nothing to do with hygiene. The rough translation would be that they washed their hands with a fist. This language symbolizes ritual or religious washing for ritual purity. Please don't use this text to say, this is why I don't wash my hands before I eat. They weren't concerned with hygiene or cleanliness. They were concerned with holding to the tradition of the elders, that is, the oral teachings of the rabbis, according to the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a collection of writings of Jewish rabbis who commented on the Holy Scripture. And it contained these oral teachings called the Halakha. They would try to apply the law of God to people, but it often got out of hand and it was misapplied. See, the ritual of washing hands comes from the book of Exodus, where the priests would have to wash their hands in a bronze basin before walking in the tent of meeting or going before the altar to offer sacrifices. Unfortunately, the rabbis applied this principle as a guideline to eating and to everyday life for ordinary people apart from worship. So they did the same for when Aaron was to wash his entire body as he was to be consecrated to the Lord. And so they began applying ritual washings to everything and to everyone, even when they came home from the Gentile marketplace. They would not eat unless they washed their entire bodies so they wouldn't be defiled by the Gentiles. So they would be set apart And holy. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches or beds. 
They would wash entire furniture for ritual purity as the law commanded when they had bodily discharge. Uh, But this wasn't discharge. This was just from going to the marketplace. Remember, this wasn't for the sake of hygiene or to actually clean the surface of these objects. It was developed into ritual purity, a, a, a religious ritual for purity. In fact, the amount of water used to wash their hands wasn't actually enough to actually clean them. If you think that is crazy, soon enough these guidelines became regulations and these regulations began to take priority in the life of the Pharisees and scribes. What a complicated life. What a complicated life. They already had the ceremonial law. Why bind people with new laws? These teachings developed over the years to bind people to unbiblical precepts, just like some teachings in some corners of Christianity throughout our history down to today. Imagine that this is the context that Jesus entered into. And so he is teaching his disciples something here. And he exposed the heart of the Pharisees and their traditions, the source of their traditions, and the hypocrisy of their traditions. First, let us consider the heart or motive of their tradition. The scribes, again, came from 90 miles away as they were sent as a Jewish delegation from the capital just to investigate and catch Jesus in wrongdoing as they have done before. They did this back in chapter 3. They came all that way to dispute with Jesus. They rage and plot in vain. They set themselves and take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. And the Pharisees and scribes asked Him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? They made that long journey just to convict Jesus of breaking the ceremonial law by allowing His disciples to eat with defiled hands. He was the leader, so He gets the blame. That's why they said, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? They approached him with such pious authority and they thought that, they, that because they had authority, then their tradition had authority over Jesus and his disciples. But the question is, did their tradition truly have authority? Were they truly a guide to the will of God? Well, no. The problem with their accusation was that it was not part of the ceremonial law for all ordinary people to wash their hands before eating, but it was for the priests to wash before entering the tent of meeting or to go before the altar to offer sacrifices. They were taught wrongly. And their practice was misapplied. There is a context to interpreting and applying Scripture. That is why it is so dangerous to apply Scripture haphazardly without considering the context. 
what was meant for the old covenant priests was applied to ordinary people. And what was reserved for the tent of meeting and the altar was applied to daily life. And get this, Jesus came to do away with all of those things. But these washings were the Pharisees' test for true moral purity. If he is a good teacher, as everyone says he is, he would be teaching his disciples to walk according to the tradition of the elders, or so they thought. But Jesus gets to the heart of it. He exposes them for who they are. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Why were they hypocrites? Mainly because their actions were merely ex- external. They wore a mask around other people to disguise what was truly going on on the inside. Isn't that true of all of us? At some point or another, coming to, coming to church, everything is all good. We come with a smile on our face despite the argument we had with our wives or our children or our parents on the way here. And they believed that their tradition and just going through the motions of religion would save them. That is why Jesus further explains his reasoning as to why he calls them hypocrites by quoting Isaiah 29. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There is the first problem. Notice there are two parts of the body mentioned. The lips, which are visible, and they are outside of the body, and the heart, which you can say is invisible or not seen, and is considered to be the seat of the mind. The heart is considered to be where you find the true person. It's a metaphor. And it is speaking of who they really are and what they truly believe. His accusation is that they are on the outside with their lips or the washing of their hands devoted to God. But inwardly, they are far from God. What you see on the outside is not truly what is going on on the inside. And in the context of the passage that the Lord quotes, the Lord is addressing His people in their heartless devotion and worship. And one evidence of their heartless devotion and worship was found in the way they had no compassion for the needy and sinners around them. Just like the Pharisees. Just like the Pharisees. So this heartless devotion, it is a danger for all Christians, isn't it? We may come to church and follow the traditions that actually have been handed down by God. And yet, we come with hearts far from God. We could come to church and go through the motions, bless God, praise Him with our lips. But inwardly, we may be coming just to be seen by others. To be considered righteous by others. Maybe posted on Facebook. And say, see, I'm righteous now. All those people who have said bad about me, they can't say anything now. I'm going to church. 
Now they'll think I'm holy. And that is the problem. If that is what's going through our minds when we come to worship, then this text may apply to us. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And that's the point. We are Christians. We gather for worship. We worship according to the scriptures, not because we'll get something out of it. There are many who go to church because they want all their problems fixed. And they want to get something positive out of it. We can even come to church to hear the word because we love orthodox theology. We may even desire to grow in holiness. We may even desire righteousness. But without a heart for God, it leads to nothing. It leads to nothing. We don't come to church because we get, we'll get something out of it. Not because we will benefit from going to church. We don't come to church because we want to become better people by going to church. We are called to come in order to draw near to God. Gathering for any other reason would be gathering in vain. We gather to draw near to God. It's about God. Not just human activity. We are called to go to church and worship out of the love of God. If God is not the object of our traditions and our worship, then we're doing all of this in vain. Church is not about me. It's not about us. The Christian life is not about just what we do. It is about God and drawing near to Him. And flowing out of that, it will change what we do. So the question is, where is your heart's true devotion? Is it God or is it what you do in church? And if it is worship, who do we worship? If we say it is God, is it in vain? Are we neglecting what he does say to us? Are we neglecting his commandments? Secondly, there is something else going on here. The problem is that they weren't teaching the traditions that come from God. Traditions in themselves are not bad. Everyone has traditions. We have traditions during the holiday season as families. Uh, we have uh, traditions even as a church during this time. But it depends in the church what is behind the source of the tradition, the heart of the tradition. What is the heart behind the tradition? A heart that is far from God will eventually lead us to move away from God's traditions and disobey His law that has been revealed. A heart that is not devoted to God will lead to placing the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Not sure if you got that. And totally disregard the commandments of God. 
This was what was going on during the Reformation as Rome was trying to bind the consciences of their parishioners to, to practices and traditions that were not commanded in Scripture. And along the way, it led the church to disobey God's commandments as immorality reigned throughout both the laity and the clergy. And this goes on to this very day. And it is going on even in Protestant denominations today. Jesus says of these, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. There's the source. The Pharisees and scribes were teaching as if the tradition and commandments of men are on equal level as the doctrines that come from God. In other words, they were legalists. They were binding the consciences of others with laws and traditions not found in the Holy Scriptures. Now there are different forms of legalism. Uh, There is the form of legalism that believes that you can be saved by keeping the law of God. But then there is the legalism that elevates the traditions, personal preferences, and opinions of men to the same level of importance as the law of God in areas where God has left our consciences free. It's like what we decide as a church to do during the holidays. A lot of those traditions we have, they're free, right? I'm not going to put you on church discipline because you have a different opinion on whether, how to decorate the church. I mean, that's far from me. That's far beyond my authority. But this is what happened here. The, the rabbis misapplied the word of God and established a tradition, then imposed it On ordinary people. Over the years it rose to the same level of importance as the word of God itself. That is legalism. That is legalism. While true religion always has its focus on God. Not just human activity. Our religion is to find its origin in God. Not merely and purely human. If not, we would be worshipping God in vain. We would be worshipping ourselves. At root it is a form of idolatry. It is just like the Pharisees who placed their own tradition above scripture. And made themselves their own gods. They believed that they will be saved by their practice of tradition. And they hated the fact that Jesus was teaching that he is the saviour. And that God saves, not the practice of their tradition. They made man-made tradition here a matter of salvation. Unfortunately, this happens in the church all the time. Even in solid reformed churches. And it is not just limited to a tradition. A tradition could be a cultural norm. A personal preference. Maybe a wisdom decision. Maybe a wisdom decision. Based on your circumstance. And those wisdom decisions become barriers to fellowship. One example. You'll find churches today. That pride themselves on being homeschool churches. 
This is the church where every child is homeschooled. Or you have churches who are priding themselves on being family-centered churches. This is the church where every child is in worship and every family sits together. It's like uh, Alistair Begg responding to this sort of thinking said, we are supposed to be Christ-centered churches. God-centered churches. Not these wisdom decisions that are to be made personally and within the family. See, we, we ought to be careful that we don't turn personal preference, personal wisdom decisions into law and turn it into a tradition of men and make it a matter of salvation. Because what Jesus teaches us is what comes from God requires obedience. But what comes merely from man can be disregarded. If it is not required by the law of God, it can be dismissed. It can be dismissed. But we tend to have a wrong sense of priorities. And there is a cost. There is a cost. The law of God is at stake. And it it can easily become second place to our own traditions that we have made up. And get this, human traditions do not have the power to cleanse and to renew our hearts. But God does. God does. So when something in the church is commanded as law or treated as seriously as a matter of salvation, becoming a barrier in our our fellowship, we ought to question it. We ought to question it. That is what he taught his disciples to do here. He, he taught them that they were allowed to disregard the tradition of the elders because it wasn't expressly taught in Scripture. Not only that, not only that, because there are many things we do that are not expressly taught in Scripture, but also because it was made as serious as salvation and the law of God. And what happens when you do that? It says here they actually leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Because when you add to the law of God, you're not only elevating the traditions of men to the same level as the law, But you are also taking away and replacing the law of God with the traditions of men. Because that is the source. That's where the the source is limited. It is limited to men's understanding and not to the law of God. There was a time when women weren't allowed to wear makeup, when they weren't allowed to wear pants in the church. Christians weren't allowed to dance. You weren't allowed to go to the movies. No playing cards. Why? Well, because it is easier not to do these things than to actually obey the law of God. Right? It is easier to refrain from dancing than it is to actually refrain from lusting. You can lust 
your entire life and never step foot in a dance hall. It was easier for the Pharisees to richly wash their hands than to actually love their brother. And the problem with the Pharisees and scribes was not only they were taking the easy route, they had issues with control. They wanted to control lives similar to the way the devil seeks to control lives. The word of God led them to have power trips rather than to the love of God. For us, we may say of a man-made tradition, well, this is how we've always done it. I'm not talking about the way we worship. That takes priority. But it could be anything other than worship in the church's life. We must admit at the end of the day, in the, church of life, in the church's life, if these things are indifferent, we have to have discussions, right? We have to reason together in a peaceful manner. And not, this is how we've always done it. And people get angry once something changes. But my question would be, would you get just as angry if someone was to leave the commandments of God? If not, something else is motivating our traditions other than the love of God. What are the priorities? As a minister of the gospel, I am bound to the scriptures and its teaching as expressed in our confession and catechisms. And I cannot bind your conscience where God has left it free. I can only bind you to what the scriptures actually teach. So really, the pastor and the elders, they don't have really much say in your life and your day-to-day decisions unless you need some wise counsel, if there is wisdom, hopefully, or if it's in regard to your sin. If there's a spiritual need, I can't tell you exactly what car to buy. Again, if there's finances involved and there's wisdom decisions, I can guide you. But my... Counsel is limited on wisdom issues. I can't bind you to things outside of the scripture. Thirdly, this of course leads to an even worse state of affairs. Not only do the traditions of men that go unchecked and unquestioned lead to leaving the commandments of God, but it may also lead to deliberate disobedience and transgressing the law of God. It leads to blatant hypocrisy. And speaking of adding to the law, there is an 11th commandment among many Protestants. And it is, you shall not be sarcastic. But Jesus unloads some sarcasm here when he says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. He didn't really mean it's a fine way, right? I didn't think they were actually rejecting the law of God here. It seemed like they were only overlooking it. But he goes on to explain by quoting the fifth commandment and the penalty of disobeying this commandment under the Mosaic covenant. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Then he continues, but you say... Notice he says, but you say, not God, 
not Moses. This is not divine revelation. But you, the Pharisees and scribes who make up your own laws and traditions say, if a man tells his mother or his, uh, his father or his mother, whatever you have, would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God. See, in those days there were no uh, nursing homes and, and most parents raised their children by providing daily bread with little to no savings. So it was expected that the children would care for their parents when they got older. It's not like today where most parents can care for themselves after retirement. And Corbin was a dedicatory vow or oath that you would take before the Jewish leaders by vowing that all of your wealth and belongings will be given to God, or in this case, to the leaders, to use it when you die. All of what you own becomes divine property. Now, if done appropriately, this is not a bad vow, right? But there was a stipulation. While you are living, you cannot use your wealth for anything or anyone else except for yourself. That was the stipulation. Because they... If you had to take care of your parents, there goes your money. And none of it will be dedicated to God after you die. So they wanted to put up these barriers around the person uh, so that all this money would come to them or to the temple for them to use. So this type of Corbin allowed and enabled self-indulgence, selfishness, and the dishonoring of parents because you were no longer permitted to do anything for them. You couldn't even spend your money to take care of them, thus contradicting the law of God by dishonoring them. And so he cast the final and most grievous indictment, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Hypocrisy at its worst. They looked for a loophole to contradict the law of God. And it has dire spiritual effects because it keeps the true word of God from the people. This happens all the time, too often, even in the church. I once heard of a a married couple who attended two different churches. Right? Right? The husband went to a reformed church and the wife went to a Christian church, a a non-denominational church. But the husband was a bit bothered by it, rightly so. I mean, uh, it was a good thing that he was bothered that he and his wife did not attend the same church. So he needed guidance and wisdom to shepherd his wife. So he went to his session of elders for counsel and they told him after working for some time with the couple that they should get a divorce making void the word of God over a wisdom decision it is wise for a married couple to attend the same church we ought to work toward that end in such as marriage counseling. We work toward that end. But to contradict 
the law of God for the sake of a wisdom decision would be making void his word. It would be contradictory and hypocritical. We ought to be careful that we do not twist the scripture for our own sake. There is one who has twisted scripture for his own sake. He did so in the Garden of Eden, tempting Eve, and when he tempted Jesus. And it is in his footsteps that the Pharisees followed. We ought to be careful. We ought to be careful not to twist scripture for our own sake. So in what ways have you traded the law of God for the sake of strong personal convictions or human traditions? Convictions that are not clearly taught in the word. Because it may lead us to contradict it. How have we mixed up the categories between first importance, last importance, and no importance? Jesus was teaching his disciples to discern what can be dismissed for the sake of fellowship. His gospel is to be proclaimed to Jew and Gentile alike. He has come to save people from all different backgrounds and even differing personal convictions and tear down the barriers of culture, ethnicity, and tradition. He has come to liberate us from the regulations and restrictions that have no claim on the law of God. That is why Paul said, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up, without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth, get this, that is from God. When indifferent decisions are imposed on us as a matter of salvation or his law, It should lead us to ask, well, what does God say? And am I living for Him? The growth comes from God, not from the tradition of man. And am I growing in my love for Him? Is He the object of my conviction? Is He the object of our tradition? And are you seeking to please him. And I'll leave you with that this morning. Amen.